Welcome to Lift and Love Conversations, where we are building a supportive culture around LGBTQ families in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Allison Dayton from Lift and Love, and I will show you how to lean into your spiritual discomfort to deepen and grow your testimony of Jesus Christ. And I am Jenny Hunter of Jenny Hunter Coaching. I will help you identify obstacles that could get in the way of sustaining healthy relationships and realizing the blessings of being an LGBTQ family. Each week, we will bring you lessons we've learned through our own lives, the experiences of families we've worked with, and conversations with amazing experts. Hello, our Lift and Love community. We are so glad to be with you today. And today's kind of a big deal day. Miss Allison, how many Instagram followers did you hit today? We hit 10,000, and I like to call them allies because Ooh. followers is a weird word, but amazing. I have to say, I absolutely not, I didn't even plan for this ever because I thought it would never happen. Oh, I, I think it's such a great thing. And I was telling my teenage girls, I'm like, oh, Allison, Lift and Love hit 10K. And they're like, oh, mom, that's such a big deal. I'm like, I know. I know. <laughs> but they, they, you've impressed the teenagers. <laughs> yes. Woohoo. Finally. See, those are two really awesome things today. It's- but think about like, that's a whole stake of people or two stakes almost of people of like your allies. And that just makes my heart so warm, but that is not why we're here today. No, we're not. And we, but we're in, we're here for a really good subject that Jenny and I've been working on for a while. And it's about getting unstuck because sometimes Mm -hmm. we get stuck, especially in this space where we're dealing with our children and their needs and our teachers the teachings we've been brought up with and our beliefs. So let's get unstuck. Yeah. And what does like being stuck look like in your life? Oh, it can, it can show up in so many ways. Like we can be stuck in a weird, you know, feeling between us and our mother-in-law, or we can be stuck, you know, trying to be healthier and get up and exercise. I mean, like the, it we it happens to us all the time, right? We get stuck all yeah. the time. It, yeah, like for me, it's like it starts showing up where I'm like low energy, not productive with like my spiritual practices, not really wanting to serve. Like it's like I start losing fruits of the spirit. Is that when I start noticing like, oh, something's bothering me internally and I need to figure this out. Right. And you and there's there's layers with the LGBTQ issues as a parent. And I think like we this can happen to you quite frequently and you have to guard against it. Absolutely. And you have to protect your heart and your mind. And there's a great quote by Brigham Young. And some of you may have heard it. It's, I I want you to listen to it because it's pretty, it's pretty radical, but it's pretty instructive. I am more afraid that the people have so much confidence in their leaders that they will not inquire for themselves of God, whether they are led by him, I am fearful they settle down in a state of blind self-security, trusting their eternal destiny in the hands of the leaders with a reckless confidence that in itself would thwart the purposes of God in their salvation and weaken that influence they could give to their leaders. Did, Did they know for themselves by the revelation of Jesus that they were led in the right way? Let every man, woman, and woman know by the whispering of the spirit to themselves whether their leaders are walking in the path of the Lord just dictates or not. This has been my exhortation continually. 
Wow. And this is what he said when he was prophet. He was prophet. And he worried that we would essentially follow him, follow blindly in the state of blind self-security. Yeah, that reckless confidence really stuck out to me. Isn't that interesting? And and I think President Nelson is trying to get us away from this sort of kind of thinking because it's um it's a trap, right? We're thinking. Sure, and I think yeah, like where he said to us, I think two years ago, unless you you know grow yourself up spiritually, you're not going to survive. I think he says the same thing as Brigham Young says right here. Right. Like you have to be ready. You have to study things out and you have to know it for yourself. And we don't, we spend a ton of time stuck. And what that quote says, and Richard Rohr, who was a Franciscan priest, who is a Franciscan priest, who I love, he says, transformation is more about unlearning than learning. Ooh, powerful. Right. Which is why the religious tradition calls it conversion or repentance. So we're moving off one path onto another. Sometimes we've learned too much. Oh, and I heard this from this um, video, leadership video that I've been watching that, where they said, culture sometimes outpaces doctrine. Right. It's I was like, true. oh, yes, that is so powerful. Right. And that he talked about how, like when Christ was um, in Jerusalem, he taught everything in stories and parables. And you saw like they, that's how he knew they could learn. But then in the Book of Mormon, in the Americas, he taught everything to straight doctrine. And then the result of that was you had 250 years of people getting baptized and staying righteous. Like doctrine is what keeps you unstuck. Like the study of doctrine. Right. The study of it, not just right saying there's doctrine around. Right. right. The study of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're talking, we're going to talk about three things to help you get, stay unstuck or get unstuck. Right. So the first is to learn or to unlearn what we have going, what we already have. Right. And we think the best way to do that is to make a list of things that you um, like of your beliefs right now and make this list an LGBTQ um, folks in the church. Right. And see in that list, like divide it up between things that make bring of those beliefs, write down all the beliefs of what you have of those beliefs with the LGBTQ community in our church, and then divide it up between, between what are the beliefs that bring you closer to Christ and what are the beliefs that there isn't Christ in it. Right. So, cause oftentimes we have all these beliefs and we, we don't, we haven't even studied them. We don't know. We just are repeating. In fact, I can't remember. I wish I should have looked it up, but there's a, uh, an apostle, I mean, a 70 who gave a talk in conference about how we sort of believe and repeat as though it was our own, there were our own words, but we haven't really studied it. So mm-hmm. we need to get those up. Sometimes we get stuck in platitudes. So in um, our LGBTQ uh, situation or uh, where we are here, we hear a lot of platitudes like, the doctrine never changes. Mm-hmm. They will be cured in the next, fixed or cured in the next world life. Um, as long as they don't act on it. So these are platitudes that we kind of throw people throw out and why they do it is because it's too hard to look at the reality of what's happening. So it's yeah. easy when you hear a platitude and it feels so 
comforting, you can just pick it up and walk with it. And then you can use it when you need it. Like somebody says it, you pick it up and, oh yeah, that makes sense. So I'm going to hold on to this. And then when this idea comes to me, how do LGBTQ people fit in the kingdom of God? I can just say, I don't know, because, but it doesn't matter because they're going to be healed in the next life or the atonement will take care of that or um, any one of the number of different kinds of um, platitudes that we have. And of course, it's not even just about LGBTQ. We do it all over the place. Right. So the question is, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. And I would maybe start with a study of the scriptures. Does it say in the scriptures anywhere about our LGBTQ people in the next life? Pretty safe place to start. You're searching. Yeah. Right. And, um, I don't, I don't want to spoil anybody's fun, but it don't doesn't. be a teaser. <laughs> it doesn't, but it giving away the ending here. <laughs> it does say that, you know, you know, you'll have to do your study, but it does say that things will be made right. So you take this platitude and you study it. Where did it come from? A really great example is mother in heaven. So mm-hmm. we all have said, we don't talk about mother in heaven because she's too sacred. Right. That's what you, in fact, um, when I was primary president, like my counselor did um, sharing time and she talked about mother in heaven and she got pulled in the bishop's office because of that. Right. This was just like eight years ago. Right. And now I love that the um, theme for the young women talks directly about our heavenly parents. Right. Right. Well, if you did a little study on that, that phrase, you'd find out that it came from like a seminary teacher in California Mm -hmm. who said it. And it probably felt good to him. I don't know why we don't talk about mother in heaven. Maybe it's because she's too sacred. Yeah, and, that's what and I was taught. Yeah. wants to protect her. <laughs> yeah. Which is silly because she's a yeah. goddess and needs no protection. And a rock star. But, yes. <laughs> right. And a rock star. So that's a great platitude that we used to use. And now we've put that one away, right? I mean, it gets because, older people, but it's right. Because for me, because a great, I love this example you brought up because for me, me actually identifying with my heavenly mother and thinking about her and like being like with her, like, like thinking about how she, what, how she wants me to act and how she's thinking about me, like actually brings me closer to my heavenly father and to the savior and the spirit. And it serves me. It makes me operate from my higher self of love. Right. And so that's where we're saying with those beliefs, like look at those beliefs and say, are they helping you operate on a higher your higher self of love? Like, are they really going to the second commandment of loving thy neighbor as thyself? Well, and uh, you know, here's another thing, uh, earrings, right? We were told by president Hinckley only to have one earring. Yeah. So my daughter considered having more earrings. I could say, well, the prophet said only have one earring, which, which he did. But more importantly, I said to her, I don't know, ask, ask the Lord, ask, pray about it. Is this important to me? Is this what I, um, is this going to defile my temple as though that was one of those platitudes and, and, you know, ask, Mm -hmm. is this okay for me to do? I really like to pierce my ears a couple of times. And she'd probably say, my mom has her ears pierced four times. So (laughs) is it bad for you? Whatever. I mean, it's a simple thing, but it, it teaches you to ask for yourself. Right. And to really think about like why you're doing something, because sometimes we just check the box and that is not 
um, spiritual maturity. That is immature spiritual actions. And the Lord and our prophet today wants us to grow ourselves up and to like ask and get this relationship with God where you're hearing him and he's giving you revelation and you are purposely, mindfully doing things in your life that are aligned with God. Right. And generally you can feel the ones that feel a little off to you. Yeah. I mean, they might sound good in the beginning, but then you say it and you're like, Hmm, is that true? Do I think that? And so, um, I, uh, one of our lift and love moms posted a quote that just was so good. It was from Uchtdorf, uh, Elder Uchtdorf. And he said it was in a training meeting in like 2000, I don't know, 2000, a long time ago. He said, remember, it was the question young Joseph asked that opened the door for the restoration of all things. We can block the growth and knowledge of our heavenly, our heavenly father intends for us. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew. Mm, The massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew. I mean, does that iron gate hold our, us as mothers of LGBTQ people and allies and even LGBTQ individuals themselves. Yeah. Find a gate. What we thought I, we already knew. I love the, that we, um, you know, lately we've been saying a lot in our church that we are being continually restored. We are a living church. Mm-hmm. So that goes right along with that, where you have to keep your heart soft and open and be ready to be taught more, like bring me more. But the Lord needs to see that you're ready for that. And so I think that the second one that we're going to talk oh, about, it's right in. Yeah. Which is shelter. really, you have to look at pain directly. Right. Right. You have to shelter and look at pain directly. This is really hard. And I'll just tell you, um, it's not fun to look at other people's pain. No, it's, um, it's hard. It really is hard. I think the savior teaches us actually teaches many in the story of the good Samaritan Mm -hmm. and the savior's teaching us that story himself. Right. And here's this man He's a guy from Jerusalem and he's fallen to, you know, he's fallen and been, or he's been taken down by a bunch of thieves, right? Some thugs. He's in the gutter. (laughs) Right. And we can say, well, what was he doing? Or that he got, that he got there. Um, Who was he hanging out with? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We can do that. Um, And then the certain priest, which was a high priest came along and he saw him but he went to the other side of the road. Completely so, ignored him. Like saw him, but did not do anything. Yeah, just walked around him. Um, and then a Levite, who was a little bit lower priest, came and he he said, it says he, um, he looked on him. Let's see, the first one he saw him. The second he looked on him and passed by on the other side. And then came the certain Samaritan. I love this because I used to be this person. I'm going to be really vulnerable here where <laughs> we all like, are. you know, like you see the pain and you're like, I see it, but I'm just not going to, I'm not going to stop because I don't, I, it's too messy for me. Like it's or too hard. You got yourself me. into this. You can get yourself out. Yeah. Or, or I feel un- ill-equipped to do it. 
really. Right. Like, I just don't feel like I'm up for, for handling that pain. And that is not our, the covenant way. No, no. So here comes a Samaritan who we all know is a man of lesser, that he's thought of as a lesser man because he's from Samaria, but he, he was on a journey, said it was on a purposeful journey, right? Mm -hmm. Came to where he was came to where he was. He came all the way down to the dirt where he was. And he saw him. And he had compassion on him. And he took action. And he took action. And he he came to his aid. And so how does looking at this pain keep us, gets us unstuck, Allison? Like, I believe it does because I think seeing the one and like learning the story of each other, like of what we're going through moves our heart and changes our heart. Absolutely. And that's what we're meant to do, right? We're meant to see each other's pain. And if we can't see it, how can we be there? How can we come to people and how can we become one? I mean, seeing people's pain is what being an ally is. Mm -hmm. Now, The Samaritan didn't go to the man and say, dude, how did this happen? He picked him up and he took him and he got him home and he brought him to an inn and he paid for all of his needs. He didn't ask him what happened. What did you do? What did you do to get yourself here? And clearly you shouldn't have been on this road and you're the sinner and all of those things. So, and, and I hope you never do this again. I mean, none of those things. He just delivered him to safety and did the best he could to make him right. And he, he did, he did what he could. Right. Yeah. Right. And I love that um, where you see, you see what needs to be done and then you add your part, right? Like you don't have to do it all, but you add your part. Like he, he brought him to the end for other people could help too. And so doing our own part. And I know for me, whenever I have looked at pain directly and like gone in, I did not leave unchanged. Like I became more like the savior in that moment and learned more from the savior. And so looking at pain directly will change your heart and teach you and bring you closer to the savior. I don't know of a faster way to be, to have more of the spirit and have more of, um, him teaching you in that moment. Like when I look at the back of those moments where I, did go and I did cross the street and I did go help. It really did change me and, beca- and, and, and changed my heart. Right. Well, and we, if we want to be unstuck, we have to see differently. Oh, I love that. Yeah. We, we've got to see differently. How can we see each other if we don't come to each other? If, if we see right. each other and- crossing the road and we're like, oh yeah, hey, from across the road is that seeing each other and and how do we deliver each other because right because because if you don't even know the needs right like because right. you have to learn to, to learn you have to see the pain to figure out the needs like the first responders right well and you have to be very careful not to get defensive yeah like so in particularly with our lgbtq folks they have pain and they're going to be, they're going to express pain to us and possibly about us. Yeah. And this is where empathy is really important 
because empathy is not fixing it. Empathy is sitting with them and saying, thank you for sharing this with me. Thank you for telling me this. It is not saying, putting a silver lining around their pain. It is not saying, well, at least this or at least that. It is just seeing, I see your pain. It's not saying, well, the church was just trying to, or I, I thought I was doing what was in your best interest, or this is what I thought. That's, that's your stuff. Right. So let's say somebody unpacks a box in front of us of things that aren't pretty. We we don't want to look at it because it's not pretty. It's ugly. Stuff. No, we're like, put it back in the box. Yes. Put it back in the box and you <laughs> hold it. Like this is really hard stuff. You know, another platitude we have is that that we try on our LGBTQ people is um, everybody has their challenge. Mm. Um which is an unfair platitude because everyone has their challenge implies that we all start from the same space with the same equipment and abilities. And that's not the truth in the situation. So we want to put everything back in the box. We don't want to see the box, but to actually see them to come where they are, we have to look in the box And we have to say, wow, that's hard stuff in this box. Not defensive, not. Right. And the beauty of, for that person of you letting them unpack the box is what it keeps them seen and they want to stay. They feel love in that space with you. And so I don't. How long they've been carrying the box. And the box is lighter. Yes. But when they can unpack it in front of you and you say, yes, I see all this that box becomes lighter for them. Yes. You know, it reminds me, um, people will often say, why did, why does so-and-so have to come out? Mm -hmm. Because they've been carrying a heavy box. Yes. And when they open the box and this very heavy piece of what's in, you know, this thing in the box comes out, it's lighter. Not only that, but it's shared by others. You know me as I, our LGBTQ people will, I've just heard it said, in so many ways, somebody in this ward knows who I am and loves me still or right. loves me more, hopefully. And we have a dear friend who we went to dinner with the other night who um, is LGBTQ and in our stake. And they were sharing with us just, you would, I, I'm still shocked with things people feel like they could say, right? It like, it just hurts my heart. And I was so thankful that they shared it with us because I sometimes don't even understand the level of pain that our LGBTQ saints have to carry around, how heavy their box is. Absolutely. And it, it was, it was chastening to me. And I was like, just thank you for sharing this for me. And this was wrong. This, these people should not have said that. And I think them hearing just me saying that is once again, you saying like, you are, I, you are here. I'm glad you're here. I'm sorry this happened. Right. And I love you. I love you. And let me take a corner of that box. Yeah or any of that box that you're willing to share with me. Right. So look at the pain people because it changes you and it changes them. It's really a part of our um, brothers and sisterhood um, and our mourning, those that mourn our our baptism covenants. That is really mourning with those that mourn. Well, and that's the third piece is how do we connect or what's the action that we do? This is important. Learned about the pain because we've seen the pain, right? Now, now we can't unsee the pain. Yeah. I mean, once the Lord has let us see the pain of another, 
we are there with them. And it goes right to our baptismal covenants in Mosiah that as we are desirous to come into the fold of God, so this is in 18 verse 8, and to be called the pe his people, and are willing to bear one another's burdens that they might be light. How do you know? How do you bear someone's burdens if you can't look at them? And then, yeah, you won't let them show you their burden, right? So yeah. you have to know their burdens. You have to look in the box, yes, in their heart, or at their pain or their wounds, even if the wounds were inflicted by the church, by us, by someone in our family, and or accidentally. You got to look at the wounds and you have to understand what they're carrying. And then it says, yea, and are willing to mourn with those who mourn. Once we know the wounds, then we know how to love and to mourn with them and to say, I am so sorry that you're carrying. Right. And this, this is where small things make a huge difference. Um, you know, where you are just like saying, I love you. I see you. Um, like being invested in them as a person. And because I think we hear this all the time, well, what do I do? Or how do I do this? And I love that we're seeing like more and more stories of like, like, oh, the young woman's president put up a flag. Like, it, like they were so happy because they're like, oh, she sees me. Or somebody brought over a pin to me when my daughter came out yeah. or somebody sent me a text. I mean, it is literally the ministry. This is where ministering is at its best. Yes. And how do you minister if you don't know what they're carrying? Right. And, and the beauty of what, what happens to us, Allison, when we take action, if we're feeling stuck and we see pain and we take action, how does it change us? How does it get us it, stuck? I think it just lightens us. I mean, that's, that's where, so if we keep going and it says, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. So that's what we do, right? We're supposed mm -hmm. to be doing these things, not just like, here's some soup. I heard you were sick, but like, wow, your box is heavy. And yeah. I, I just am so proud of you for carrying this box and for showing up. And however that comes out, it doesn't have, you don't have to have the wisdom of their problems. You don't know, no. how, you don't need to solve them. No, I, I heard this thing where you, yeah. Yeah, oh, you're not going to solve a problem with your reply, but you're going to solve a problem with your connection. Yes. Yes. And that's the last part, the connection. You, yeah. that's the third step. How do you connect with them? And if you read it in Mosiah, then you see that that is how you stand as a witness of God in all things and all time, in all things and in all places that you may be in, even unto death. And that's what he needs us to do. That's, he needs that because we're here and his spirit's here, but he can't do it. Physically. He can't do it. And I want to brag about the adults in my ward for a minute because, you know, Nick is, he grew up in our ward. Um, we've lived in the same ward still. And so when he comes back from college, like um, last time he was visiting, he got in the ward. He's like, the adults in this ward love me. How he goes, I know. Like he goes, they like, I go, Nick, I love, I love that. And that is showing that the people are showing up. Like you can't fake being authentic and saying, Nick, how are you doing? I love you. And when those adults 
talk to me and just say, how is Nick doing? I know when they're really there, I'm wanting to know how he is. So literally it's just asking the question, how is your son doing? Tell them we're thinking about him. And when they see it, when that, it's just reaching out. Totally, totally. And in, in Mosiah, in the baptismal covenant, if you keep reading, it says that now I say unto you, this is your, the desire of your heart. If this be the desire of your heart, what have you against being baptized in the name of the Lord as a witness before him that you have entered into a covenant with him, mm-hmm. that you will serve him? And this is what he's asking us to do. I serve him by taking care, by checking in with Nick. Nick's right. back from college. Nick, how are you doing, Nick? Yeah, how I can him. Yep. How and the you? fruit of this is like we become one heart, one mind. Right. And that is where it's truly the unstucking happens is when you are following these three things of like your questioning beliefs that are not serving you or are not having you operate on your highest self. When you are looking at people's pain and really trying to figure out how is this painful for this person? Why is this painful for this person? Let me be in this pain with this person. And then you connect with them. This is where you get the fruit of being more one heart with God. Well, and I might add here, we have to look at our own pain. Mm. And if you, if you look at stories of uh, families from the past who have had to deal with LGBTQ issues without kind of the, the, like my family, actually, like my mom's post that actually posted today when we were filming the same day we filmed this or the same day we recorded it. Um, she still has a hard time looking at her pain. Yeah. And it's hard for me to look at her pain and the pain of my brother. It's still hard. Um, As much work as I've done around this, as much as I talk about it, as much as I've learned from it, looking at the pain is still hard. And recognizing that your mom's pain is still valid. Yes. Like that where we try to like make it like, oh, get over it. It's better to know your mom's pain is valid. And we need to let her have that pain and tell her that. And she might be in that pain forever. Likely at 84, she might be. Yeah. Um, and we can learn from that too, but I have to be there in her pain with her and can't rush her. How do you do that? Yeah. How are you doing that? We try and talk about it once in a while. It's hard for her still. Um, my mom's got a lot of pain around the church and finds it hard to connect the story through the church like I do, because I don't know that it was there was a good connection there, right? There wasn't right. support in ways that she needed support in ways that we are finding support now. Right. And creating, um, yeah, the, the, the space is much safer and much more um, able for us to think about things differently. Like there was one way to think about things back then. Right? Yeah. And it wasn't good. It wasn't, it yeah. wasn't godly. It wasn't, healthy. It, wasn't divine. it wasn't anything. And I think that we still have number of members of the church who are still um, finding that to be true and we have to be loving and patient and look at their pain because if we don't look at their pain we end up blaming them rather than fixing what's causing them the pain as a whole yeah 
And, and the savior is going to, we all know the atonement and the savior will fix all of our pain, but we have to be patient with how we all handle the atonement. We all have different capabilities and it's all, we all have different stories with how the atonement is going to play in our life. And we are not here to judge how fast you go through your pain or if your pain is valid, we are just here to mourn with your pain. That is our role. And certainly the Lord doesn't want us to use his atonement as like, Hey, you're going to be fine. The Lord's going to fix this. Right. Like there's no action in that. It's a platitude, right? Right. No, it's almost like weaponizing the atonement, right? Like right. get over it. Yeah. Like get over it. Everyone's got their problem. You've got it. You'll get through it. The atonement will fix this. So that's that not, is not, that's not what no. the Lord asked us to do. He asked us to get down in the pain and get like the Samaritan. I mean, he, those are his words. He came to him. Yes, because the Lord knows for us to change and be become and develop the people we need to in this life, we have to get in the pain with them. Just like the Lord, when they brought the woman with the stones, you know, to stone her, he went on the ground with her. The Lord goes, when Mary and Martha were crying about Lazarus, he cried with them. Like he showed us you have for uh, you to change your heart. You have to be in the pain and not try to fix it for them. I mean, that is what the atonement is. Yes. But he didn't, he didn't send us here as messengers to tell people that, Hey, good news. One day, everything's going to be better. He sent us here to help and to be his proxy, to be in his stead. Mm -hmm. And that's an active, hard thing to do, but that's what love is. That is what the love of Jesus Christ is, is doing what he would do and being there as he would be there. And not judging and not saying, well, but at I mean, least, <laughs> yeah, or, no, it is. It, and it, I know the times where I did not invalidate somebody else's pain and I really just showed empathy. That is where I felt like I became more like the savior. And so I think that is the whole reason we have to do this. The Lord could have easily taken our pain away differently. Right. And, but he set it up this way where we have to be there for each other because he knows that that is what we need as brothers and sisters to change and become a Christ-like people. Right. And as we unstick other people, Mm -hmm. we get unstuck. We get unstuck. All right. I think that's the perfect way to end it. Worrying about unsticking other people. Yeah. And then you will move and you will get unstuck and you feel closer to the Lord. And there will always be people around to unstick you. Yes. (laughs) All right. Thanks for being with us today. And go and unpack some boxes. Lighten the load. Yeah. Lighten the load of yourself and lighten the load of others. That's right. All right. We love you. Thank you. Thank you for joining our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the Lift and Love podcast. And if you like what we share, we would be so grateful if you would leave us a five-star rating. For more tips and resources, follow us on Instagram and Facebook under Lift and Love Org and Jenny Hunter Coaching. You can also go to liftandlove.org for loads of information and entry into our free support groups. If you're interested in personal coaching, sign up at jennyhuntercoaching.com. The first appointment is free. But most importantly, remember, you are not alone in this journey. We are building a community of thriving and faithful LGBTQ families who are here to lift and love you.